How radical was Crowley in his psychological, naturalistic interpretations of occult experiences? Did he invariably consider such experiences to be the result of an alteration of consciousness? Or was there a more enchanted worldview to accompany that? Stay tuned to find out. I'm Dr. Angela Puka and welcome to my symposium. I'm a PhD and a university lecturer and this is your online resource for the academic study of magic, esotericism, paganism, shamanism and all things occult. Today's video is brought to you by the kind friend of the symposium, Cosimo. Thank you so much for commissioning this video and I truly hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is all about naturalistic and psychological interpretations of occult practices, and it is sourced from the fascinating paper The Variety of Magical Experiences, authored by Professor Marco Passi. We know that Crowley was influential in the contemporary perception of entities as having a psychological nature, but as Passi argues, Crowley's intent to be the prophet of a new religion likely prevented him from embracing the process of psychologizing to the fullest. Walter Hanegraaff noted that the progressive psychologizing of esotericism begins with Mesmer's discovery of animal magnetism and continues through the whole of the 19th century. Anne Taves has interestingly suggested that during this period, those who offered naturalistic and secularizing explanations of religious experiences were not necessarily critics or outsiders to religion. In some cases, such as in spiritualism, the dominant tendency to dichotomize religious experience and naturalistic explanation was actually challenged. This means that naturalistic explanations of religious experiences were not seen as contrasting their religious meaning. The occultist movement of the late 19th century manifested a similar approach, as they attempted to reconcile science and religion. Trying to reconcile these two fields, perceived as increasingly distant or even totally opposed to each other, could indeed be considered one of the vital traits of modern occultism. That said, there is something about this process that is specific to the 20th century, when specifically at the beginning of the century, new dynamic psychological theories were being developed and popularized. Crowley's approach is particularly interesting because he tried to apply these new developments to magical and spiritual practices. For him, the psychologizing of esotericism and magic explored new avenues. First, he was likely influenced by William James' famous classic The Varieties of Religious Experience, originally published in 1902, a book that influenced greatly Crowley's perception of magical experiences. Crowley refers to James's book in several of his works and seemed particularly fascinated by the distinction between once-born and twice-born religions, as well as by what James had said about yoga and the experiences of religious geniuses, namely founders of religion. As Patsy explains, Crowley was also acquainted with the activities of the Society for Psychical Research and with some of its members. 
1895, he was admitted as an undergraduate student to Trinity College in Cambridge, where he would spend three years without getting his degree. Trinity College was also the place where the Society for Psychical Research originated in 1882. In 1908, the Society for Psychical Research went to investigate the famous Italian medium Eusapia Palladino. The report of this investigation was published a year later, and it was positive toward the medium's claims. However, in his autobiography, Crowley mentions that he studied the book and later paid a visit to the medium in 1911-1912 so that he could test her during a seance. Fun fact, Crowley was much more skeptical about the phenomena produced by Eusapia Palladino than the two professional psychical researchers. Eventually, he concluded that all the extraordinary phenomena he witnessed during the seance were quite possibly the results of tricks and sleight of hand. Not only does Crowley deny the authenticity of spiritualistic phenomena, but he also tries to explain why men of science end up being persuaded by their reality. Crowley sees a pattern in the fact that this persuasion often takes place at a certain age, when the sexual power begins to decline. So basically, psychical researchers are subject to credulity because their declining vital energies impair their judgment. Crowley's criticism was somehow connected to the polemics that had divided occultists and spiritualists since the two movements had come into existence. Macropassi highlights that the common polemical argument of the occultists had consisted in contesting the interpretation of spiritualist phenomena, mostly pertaining to the identity of the entities supposedly involved in the seances, but not their preternatural status. Yet Crowley was even more radical in his criticism and denied the very authenticity of the phenomena. When Crowley published Mother's Adaptation of the Goetia, he added a small introductory essay entitled The Initiated Interpretation of Ceremonial Magic, in which he addressed the problem of the reality of the entities described by the grimoire and the efficacy of magic. In this text, he expressed the idea that it is not necessary to consider these spirits and demons as really existing, meaning independently from the magician's self. They can be seen, in fact, as portions of the human brain. So when the invocation of one of these spirits occurs, a specific part of the magician brains is stimulated, one that corresponds to the particular spirit. Interestingly, Crowley seemed willing, at least in certain contexts, to interpret the effects of ceremonial magic and the entities traditionally involved with them purely in physiological, not even psychological terms. Magical phenomena are therefore explained from a strictly materialistic point of view. They are only taking place in the brain, which creates the illusory perception of spiritual entities. This reductionist approach may have been motivated by the need to make sense of traditional spiritual practices in a modern, secular context and to make them compatible with a positivist and naturalistic way of thinking. Crowley presented this naturalistic interpretation of magic in the early years of his spiritual career, and these ideas were published in 1904, the same year when Crowley received from Iwas the Book of the Law. 
However, it must be noticed that even though this conceptualization was important for Crowley, from a theoretical standpoint, he did not adopt it consistently over the years. There are plenty of occurrences where Crowley's encounters with entities are not framed as contacts with portions of his brain, or as part of his unconscious psyche. We can conclude this because Crowley established initial contact with most of these entities thanks to the help of a visionary partner, very often a woman. This is how he made contact with Iowas, who appeared through his wife Rose and revealed to him the Book of the Law. And we find a similar pattern with other less influential entities in his work, such as Amalartra and Abuldiz. Crowley didn't seem to regard these entities as products of his or his partner's unconscious mind or brain. They were not fabrications, but rather conceptualized as independent, preterhuman beings, with their own autonomous personalities and existences. And they were even subjected to careful testing to prove not only the identity of the entities, so that the possibility of an evil creature in disguise would be ruled out, as well as their autonomy from the personality of the magician and or of his scryer. In this sense, Iwas and other entities conceptually resembled more the mysterious secret chiefs of the Golden Dawn or the elusive Mahatmas of the Theosophical Society, rather than portions of Crowley's brain as the former were understood as enlightened masters who had reached a very high level of initiation but were still living on this realm of existence. To sum it up, Crowley's psychological interpretation of the entities occultists come in contact with was a bit inconsistent and appears to be more prevalent in certain contexts and times during his spiritual journey. Conceptualizing entities in psychological and or naturalistic terms still revealed to be incredibly influential for traditions and practices that developed after Crowley, providing a perhaps more rationalistic theoretical framework to frame occult practices in a secular age. This is it for today's video. Thank you again Cosimo for reaching out and commissioning a video on this topic. And as for you my kind viewer, if you like my content and want me to keep the academic fun going, please consider supporting my work with a one-off PayPal donation by joining memberships or my inner symposium on Patreon, where you will get access to our Discord server, monthly lectures and lots of other perks depending on your chosen tier. And if you did like this video, don't forget to smash the like button, share the video with your friends, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, and activate the notification bell because YouTube is naughty and might not let you know when there is a new upload from me. Thank you so much for being here and stay tuned for all the academic fun. Bye for now.